Welcome to another episode of Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of never-ending opportunities and merging ecosystems with world-renowned entrepreneurs and influencers. Now, here's your host, David Harder. From the production studios of Epic Financial Strategies here in Red Bank, New Jersey, we are Infinity X, giving a stage and microphone to human X in the constant, never-ending pursuit of looking to create opportunities, ecosystems, mergers, and especially exposure to people that are doing things at an ultra-high level in entrepreneurship. And tonight is absolutely no different. We play at infinityx.com. We are Infinity X YouTube. And folks, this evening we are joined. By somebody who's it, it really, really, really accelerating in the health, the wellness, and the fitness space areas. And I talked about it a little bit earlier this morning areas that we can control. Eric Bozer. Eric, how are you this evening, buddy? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. <laughs> uh, it's great to have you. So thrilled to, to, to have you on the, on the show, folks. Again, replay we are infinityx.com. We are infinityx YouTube. So, Eric. You're up to a lot of things, brother, right? 185,000 plus followers on Instagram. Uh, what is it? Bbrowserbuild.com. Um, you know, you're, you're featured in Muscle Magazine. You're, you're all over the place, CEO of a nutritional company. We're going to dive really, really deep into all of that. But what I'd love to hear about is the journey of human excellence. Where did it all start for you, buddy? Uh, wow. Let's see. It started... <laughs> I mean, I guess it started, this particular journey that we're talking about started uh, from a you know, pretty early age. Um, you know, if we go back a ways, you know, I was, uh, as a kid, I was, um, I was very athletic, good at sports, highly skilled at sports. Uh, and, but I was a very painfully skinny child, always, um, you know, right up until the time I was, uh, you know, even like in high school. Um, very, very skinny, not a lot of muscle in my body. So I had always admired, uh, even as a child, when I would go to movies or I would see uh, sporty, sporting events uh, or even actors that had muscular physiques or were kind of looked big to me, mm -hmm. um, that always fascinated me. I always, you know, thought of them as giants, you know, and, and that nothing could hurt them. And, you know, they were just, you know, super, super beings, you know. And uh, yeah. I had a pretty big, I had a pretty big dad too. My dad was a uh, six foot four and, you know, 280 pounds, you know, not, not yeah. muscular, but just a big person. Um, yep. But I was not big. I was very, very thin. So uh, that always troubled me um, mentally. I didn't like being skinny, but since I was athletic and I was still popular, you know, I kind of got away with it, but it wasn't until high school that it really affected me. And then that's when the uh, bullying situation started. So I think that that was actually the impetus of starting my journey. Got it. And where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Long Island, New York, born in Brooklyn, uh, yep. moved to Long Island as a child and yep. um, you know, lived in a nice town called Belmore and a yep. uh, great place to live. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And so you went, you, so you went to Belmore High School, right? Is it Belmore High School? I, I, That's John, I John F. Kennedy High School. John, JFK. Got it. Okay. But lacrosse is really, really big out there. Were you a lacrosse player? Like what sports? Did you no, I was more baseball, you know, uh, baseball and, and, you know, recreational. I mean, baseball was really my sport, but I played, you know, pretty much everything. I was pretty, picked up sports pretty well, but I would say, you know, baseball was the sport that um, had I pursued 
I could have possibly been, you know, something big in that sport. My life didn't take me in that direction, uh, but that was my main sport. But I played everything. You know, I played football. I played some basketball. I played tennis. You know, it's just I was good, a good athlete. I loved athletics. Yeah, and you know, and, and it's interesting too. One of our team members, Antonio Vaglica, is uh, he played a post out in, on the island as well. Hell, the baseball players, a catcher out there too. What position did you play in baseball? Just out of curiosity, I, I always had an arm. So my, you know, from early on, they put me at third base because I was the only person that could reach first base on a <laughs> on a dart. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, naturally a uh, pitcher as well. Uh, and also I played some center field because again, I had a gun from the, uh, you know, from deep so I could throw people out plate. You know? So, you know, those are pretty much my different positions. And, um, you said something, Eric, that I really, you know, my radar goes, especially because I got little kids. Um, you mentioned bullying. Yeah. When did that, when did that start? And could you just share with us a little bit about, you know, what the experience looked like? Because I always, I, I find it so important to hammer home, folks. If you didn't experience bullying in any way, shape, or form, you probably don't have the tools necessary to be able to impress upon your children how to overcome those things, right? Whether it's walk away, whether it's stand up for yourself and fight. What, what, what happened to you? Well, you know, this was, I mean, this was pretty intense for me, you know, and um, it started really in junior high school. I mean, you know, through, you know, grammar school and everything, you know, being a good athlete and everything like that. And that was popular. So, you know, there's no problem with any of that. But then you get into, you know, junior high and then you have other, you know, you're dealing with students from other schools, you know, and you all congregate in this new, you know, school and you have different classes rather than one class. So um, I hadn't really experienced, a you know, so-called bully up until uh, that point. And uh, it started in about, I think, maybe in like seventh grade, seventh or eighth grade, uh, that somehow I became uh, the target of this one main bully. And then he kind of like had almost like a little gang. Uh, and I guess I seen, you know, I was kind of like a shy kid, not very, uh, you know, very polite, you know, not very like aggressive in any kind of way, shape or form. And obviously, like I said, very, very skinny. So, you know, it was like a group of guys who were, you know, either, you know, athlete type guys that were bigger they were on the wrestling team they're on the football team they're you know way bigger than me and uh they just started targeting me and i guess i was kind of like an easy target and um i, I didn't really I, I i couldn't really stand up for myself i didn't have the guts to stand up for myself uh because i thought i'd get killed if i did to tell you the truth so i yeah. kind of took it and i think the more that i took it you know the more they piled on and uh it became extremely intense it became intense to the point that I started missing school a lot out of fear. I would make up, I would make up, you know, illnesses and just say, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. And, you know, my mom was a very, very, you know, caring human being, you know, she, you know, she probably, you know, coddled that a little bit too much and allowed me to stay home. Uh, but for me, I just, you know, I had to do it because I literally, I was, I was frightened to go to school and deal with uh, the humiliation, the pain, and for me, literally the torture of being bullied by these guys. Eric, I, uh, I want to thank you for all on that. And I, I got to tell you, I can really, I can't even begin to describe how much I can identify with that. In seventh grade, the same exact thing happened to me. Uh, and I remember, you know, and it was a little bit more subtle. It wasn't necessarily intentional, but it was like this one particular individual that, you know, at any point, he was the cool guy. You know, at any point, if you were the target, you were in trouble, right? And I'll never, you know, I'll never forget um you know that you remember, remember the birthday punches 
Remember that yeah. years ago? You know, yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll never forget. It was my turn on the birthday punch list in uh, in June and in, in seventh grade, and, and the, the level of punching that I received um, was one that um, I mean, my entire was bruised. It was like very, very intentional to go all out, and I just I just sat there and took it. And I remember that the reason I sat there and took it because I was absolutely terrified of what the repercussions would be if I turned around and did something different, right? And that that stayed with me probably for two years until I finally had a standoff. You know, I, I just had to. I had no, literally, no other choice. Um, and I think a lot of people have gone through that. But how did you how did you overcome that horrible situation that no child should have to go through? It took years, uh, you know, because, you know, I mean, I have stories involved with it, you know, that are pretty intense. Uh, uh, some of the things that, you know, when I would question the main bully, I'll just call him the main bully. Uh, yeah. When I would question him as to why he was doing what he did to me, uh, some of his answers were uh, so, I almost want to say evil, uh, that, mm. you know, it, it was frightening to the core uh, to hear his response. And I, and I kind of just, you know, at first I... I you know, I, I finally told my parents about it. Now, my mom on one side would be, you know, oh, my God, you know, I want to protect my son. You know, what could we do to protect my son? My father, being more of a tough guy and always being a big guy in his life, you know, he would be the one to say, you know, you have to stand up to a bully. And if you stand up to him, they'll back down. Uh, and I, I couldn't go that route because I knew that if I stood up to these bullies, I'd get myself, you know, beat to shreds. You know, I would, you know, I, there's no way. There was no way I was going to stand up to him. Not only that, because it was more than one, you know, it was a group. So... You know, my mother intervened, which was kind of scary for me because, you know, she went to school to try to get me switched out of some of these classes. So even getting into other classes and being switched out, it kind of made it worse because when they would catch up with me and be like, oh, you got switched out of a class, you know, I would, I would take a beating for that. So it was really bad. Um, literally all the way through junior high school was, was rough for me um, and even even the beginning of high school. Uh, uh, but I guess, you know, skipping ahead, if you want to know, you know, what I did about it, eventually I started my first thought process was to start taking martial arts. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I started taking, yeah. So I started taking some martial arts. Uh, I spent a lot of time learning martial arts. I was good at it. Um, still the skinny guy. I mean, even in high school, I was, you know, six feet tall. I weighed 125 pounds. So I was just a skinny, skinny guy. Yeah. Uh, but I was taking the martial arts to give me a little more confidence, give me a little more discipline. Um, you know, perhaps just, you know, give me something that would allow me to maybe feel a little bit more confident in those situations. Uh, and the funny thing is it didn't really work because I guess some of these guys found out that I was taking martial arts. So they wanted to challenge me even more. You know, it was even more like, oh, you know, you sure. think you could fight now? Try to fight yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, the they don't believe it. They, they fake. You know, they think that you're fake. They think it, it's all a facade and they'll test the limits. Absolutely. I know exactly yeah, what you're talking guys, about. Well, they had no fear. And like I said, they were twice my size back then. And they, they were just not, these weren't good kids. I'm sure maybe they grew up to be good, you know, adults. I don't know. Hopefully they did. Uh, but back then they just really weren't good kids. And um, so it was really, really, it was really tough for me. But what happened was that one of my instructors in Taekwondo, he started uh, bodybuilding. So I watched him in the course of, of, you know, taking classes with him. And I would take like five classes a week. Uh, I watched him getting bigger and stronger and more powerful. And, you know, that was like unbelievable to me. I just was watching it before my eyes. Mm -hmm. And so he eventually transitioned from doing martial arts. He opened up a gym in my area. And, you know, so I had a friend of mine 
my closest friend in the world. This goes back to like five years old. He was, uh, he was kind of heavy. He was a heavy kid and I was a skinny kid. And we both admired, you know, big guys. Like I said, you know, strong guys, muscular guys, bodybuilders, Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's, you know, it was at the time was, you know, huge. So we started working out together, uh, you know, him to lose weight, me to, you know, gain weight. Uh, and then eventually we joined this gym. We actually started off with a gym in my basement in my house, which my father actually got me a bunch of weights for. So we would go down there six days a week. I mean, I don't know if we knew what we were doing, but we just go down there and we'd lift, you know, and I would eat, you know, we would yeah. just lift every day. We'd go down there and I would just you know, eat ice cream with, you know, milk and bananas and pot, whatever. I would stuff my face. You could gain weight, right? Yeah. Any, yeah anything, sure. anything I could do. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, you know, in, in some senses, you know, it was good for me because I remember that I used to have, I keep, I kept a notebook, which had my body weight in it. I would put every morning what I weighed and every night what I do it every single day. And I, I think I remember like in the first year, I think I went from about 125 pounds to 165 pounds, which really made me look normal. You know, instead of being yeah. Yeah. terribly skinny, I finally looked kind of normal for my height. A transition on a body shape like that, a body structure like that, I would have to imagine that the definition, and I am the polar opposite of definition, just everybody, <laughs> FYI, but I would imagine that the the definition was really, really personified, right? I, I would bet that it was very profound and it was super, super, super noticeable. Am I right or am I wrong? Well, I would say, no, I mean, I understand what you're saying and why you would think that, but no, it wasn't really because you know, I wasn't eating the right foods, you know, I was just eating anything with calories. So mm -hmm. it was a lot of bulk weight. So yeah, I mean, my body started taking shape, for sure. Um, you know, you could start seeing that I had, you know, maybe some shoulders, maybe instead of a sunken chest, I had somewhat of a chest. So people could obviously see something was happening. Uh, but I wouldn't say that I was defined or looked like a bodybuilder or necessarily looked like somebody who was an avid weightlifter at the time. I just think that I started to look normal. You know, I started to look like a a guy who's six foot tall in high school should look, you know, instead of being terribly mm -hmm. thin. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I just, I, I kept at it. Uh, and, you know, I, I became more serious about it and went from training in my basement to, like I said, joining this gym. It was called the Belmore Fitness Center at the time. Started meeting some other serious people who were serious bodybuilders and actually competed in the sport, uh, you know, learning from them. I was a vociferous reader. I read everything I get my hands on. I started, you know, I, I got all the magazines every book I can read. So, you know, that's, that's when my transformation really started to begin was in high school, um, from the beginning of high school, when I started the weightlifting to the end of high school. And it was a very interesting difference between my life in 10th grade versus when I graduated. Uh, Please elaborate on that. I'm, I'm, yeah. And, and, and elaborate on that a little bit more because I love, I love this. Love it. Yeah. So, so basically what happened is obviously in the beginning, I started working out and I think that being bigger started giving me a little bit more confidence. Now, I wouldn't yep. say that I was unafraid of the bullies and that I wasn't still being bullied. I was, but not as much, not as intensely. And what I started to notice was that as I got bigger, the bullying would become less intense, almost like hesitant in a way, instead of just going right at me, I think they were starting to say, man, he's getting a little bigger you know, but they would still see, you know, what that meant. So they would try to push it a little bit. Maybe I wouldn't take as much, or maybe I would be, maybe it was in my reaction, wasn't as weak as it was. So maybe it was having some type of psychological effect on them and as well as seeing me being bigger, but there became a turning point. There was a turning point at some point where the bullying absolutely stopped. And one of the guys that I was very good friends with in high school, 
he and I were friends, but he was one of the biggest guys in school, one of the biggest, toughest guys in school. But he was friends with me and he was also friends with the bullies. Mm. And he, he, you told me that he used to tell the guys, you better watch out for Eric because he's getting a lot bigger and he may kick your ass one day. He told me he would tell them that. Sure, so he was on my side, but even yeah. though he was still friends with them, but he was kind of on my side. And I remember that because I remember one day that we were jogging together. Uh, I think that I think we got in trouble for something and we were, they made us do extra laps. So him and I were jogging side by side. And he said something to me like, you know, you know, you're as big as those guys. You know that, right? You're, you're one of the biggest guys in school now. And I'm like, are you kidding? I still didn't see that. I was yeah. a skinny kid. I knew Sorry. I was bigger, but I didn't see what I really was. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, no, you got to be kidding me. He was like, no, you're, you're big, dude. You got really big. So here's the, the culmination of the story to, to really wrap it up and show you how it ended in high school. The guy who was the main bully, who tortured me, stuck me with pins, took scissors, almost cut my fingers off. He was so evil. He was so mean to me. Uh, I was really afraid one day he was going to do something. One day in the, the, the high school playground, we were all out there. I don't know. I guess we were just doing playing soccer, whatever we were doing. He came up to me and I didn't know what, what that meant. He just came right up to me. And I was like, oh, is this going to be a fight? What's going to yeah, happen? Yeah, I'm like, what's going to happen now? Yep. I didn't know. So I just looked at him. He looks at me. I'm getting ready because I'm like, I don't know what's about to happen. He sticks his hand out like to shake my hand. And he shook my hand. I put my hand in and he shook my hand. And he just kind of looked at me and he nodded, didn't say anything. And he walked away. And I knew what he meant by that was like, the bullying is done. You have conquered. You've come back. And he kind of was telling me he now feared me. He didn't want repercussions from me because he mm. thought that I was going to seek revenge on him now that I was bigger than he was because I did get bigger than because uh, I was pretty built. By this. I was pretty I was pretty well built and I was did, bigger than he was. Eric, what did that feel like? What was that like for you? Like, OK, you walk away from that handshake. What did that what, what did that do? It was like having um, the best way I could describe it is like having a giant mountain on your back and a forklift just came and grabbed the mountain, and pulled it off. I felt this tremendous weight come off of me. I'm like, it's finally over. It's over, you know, and it was such a profound moment. What I was trying to say was it was one of the most profound moments of my life because I think it was the, it was the, it was the start of a brand new me in a sense. Uh, and it was... Um, it, it it changed. I mean, I felt for the rest of high school, it was a great time for me because now I felt like, you know, I was free, you know, I was free yeah. of it. It was done. Yeah. And um, it, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I just felt, I felt free. I think that was really the best way to describe it. It was that weight was off my shoulders. And I was free and I felt proud of myself. You know, I felt, I patted myself on the back a little bit, not in a way of being like, you're great. You know, like just in a way of saying like, wow, you, you survived it. Yep. You, you you worked your ass off to um, overcome it. You and and now you're here. So it was uh, it was great. It was awesome. So, uh, folks, we are Infinity X microphone and excellence. This is the amazing story of the amazing Eric Bozer, who overcame such unbelievable trauma as 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 a as a child, and grew into himself, right? And overcame those fears. Just continued the journey. It's always the micro distinctions, right? Everybody thinks, you know, everybody thinks you go into the, and and everybody is guilty of this. I don't care who you are. You go into the gym the first day. You walk out of there. You see no definition, and you give up and say, "I'll go into the." gym doesn't work right you know i mean it's the mic and it's in anything in business 
in building habits. It's the micro distinctional controllable day in and day out things that Eric, I would argue that by you putting into an application created the outcome that you experienced. Now, let me ask you a question. After that happened, did you go on to college? What happened next in your life? Well, yeah, I went to university. I went, I went to a school called Hofstra University. Uh, continued yep. body, I would can, bodybuilding. Now it had it transformed from uh, just an activity to get bigger, and then it started to become uh, something that I wanted to pursue. You know, on a competitive level. Uh, so that so everything with that in that area became more serious. But I, you know, I had to go to high school. I had to go to college, and so I went to uh, Hofstra University. And while I was there, I studied uh, my my main study was psychology. I was also very, very interested instead, not just in the physical uh, aspect of the body, but I was very interested in the mind, uh, how the mind works, uh, the psychology of the mind, the psychology behind anything and everything. Uh, and, and to be more specific, I wanted to learn the connection between mind and body, which is something that I uh, uh, explore. And, and even now, it's, it's, it's really shaped me as a coach, uh, that exploration. So I did a lot of study. Um, along obviously with my psychology, I did, you know, anatomy and, you know, kineology and, you know, all those different areas of the physical, but I also took classes in hypnosis and uh, physiological psychology, everything that kind of tied in with how the mind affects the body um, and vice versa, uh, because I always was fascinated with that. And I thought that would be a very interesting, I don't think that I had in my mind, I didn't, I, never, I don't think I knew what I was going to do with it. I don't think that I knew what I was going to do with bodybuilding because I didn't really think of it as a possible career. Yeah, I just knew that it was something that I was interested in so that I wanted to study about it and learn about it. And so, and, and so as you went through your higher education, right, what was your major in college, by the way? It, the major was psychology. It was psychology. Okay. All right. Yeah. So when, when you're, when you're going through schooling and you ultimately are getting up to the point of graduation, you had some decisions in front of you, right? You, you know, like could have, you could have moved into, or you, you had the opportunity to obviously move into the nine to five corporate world. Um, you could see more entrepreneurial pastures. What, what, what was it that you chose to do you know, post-graduation? Well, I chose to oppose everything that my father told me, which was, <laughs> I want you to be, I want you to go to school. I want you to be a doctor. I want you to be a lawyer. I want you to carry a briefcase. I want you to make money. Yeah. Uh, you know, money, I guess, was not a driving force for me back then. It was more like, I just, I want to do what I'm interested in and what I want to do. So, uh, you know, at certain points during school, I thought I was going to maybe try to become a chiropractor, but I realized I was listening to what he wanted me to do and I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. So I didn't really know what I was going to do with the psychology thing because I knew that to become, uh, to go further with that, you know, that I would need to go to graduate school, maybe get a PhD. And then I thought to myself, well, what am I going to be? Am I going to be a psychotherapist and sit in an office and listen to people all day? That, that didn't seem like the life that I wanted. Right. So I had to figure out, you know, I loved bodybuilding. I loved training. I love learning about it. I love teaching it because, <clears throat> you know, as I was in, during the course of time I was in uh, university, uh, I started competing in bodybuilding competitions, uh, and I even um, I turned professional during the time that wow. I was in, in in university. So I turned professional yeah. in um, an organization that was drug tested. So it was uh, a drug tested, drug free, natural organization, as they call it. And I turned pro. Uh, I think I think it was right before I right before I graduated possibly right before I graduated. But anyway, at that point in time in the gym, people were noticing uh, my physique. Uh, they noticed that I was more knowledgeable than most people because I was, you know, 
I, like I said, I studied. Uh, I studied everything I could possibly get my hands on from every expert in the industry, but not just bodybuilders. I was learning. I was reading, you know, journal articles on, you know, biology and how the body works and hormone levels and, you know, biomechanics and all these kinds of things just for my own knowledge. So people started noticing this and they started asking me to help them. You know, can I help them? Can I help them with their training, with their diet? So what I naturally thought that I would do at this point after, you know, I was done with, with the Hofstra University was go to maybe to a gym and maybe become a personal trainer or something sure. in that area. Uh, right. So I started working, you know, in a couple of gyms just to, you know, be in that atmosphere. But I quickly learned, you know, obviously, if we had, you know, 10 hours to have this conversation, I'd be more detailed. But I quickly learned that I wasn't one who was very good at uh, taking orders from others, <laughs> I guess, in a sense. I was a good employee, but I realized that I wanted to be in business for myself and yep. not, I didn't see a future in the gyms because even as personal trainer in the gym, you know, maybe somebody would pay $30 to have themselves personally trained and I would only get $8, you know, that kind of thing. So I started thinking to myself, well, I pay why should French. I do it? Yeah. Why should I do it this way? Let me work for myself. So I quickly transitioned into uh, starting my own business uh, in personal training, which, uh, you know, I, I decided I did it with my friend, the one who I described before, who I said was kind of heavy set. We started out together um, and we decided just to, I came up with the idea of training people in their homes because I thought that was something that was kind of unusual back then. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, back then there wasn't too many in-home personal trainers. You used to go to a gym. And I thought it'd be kind of unique. So I knew, you know, the different parts on Long Island that were very, very wealthy. You know, people who had tons of extra money to spend, people who may have gyms in their homes. Mm -hmm. And I just mm -hmm. decided, hey, let's just put out some flyers, you know, in certain areas uh, and, you know, say we're going to do in-home training and we're going to get you into shape and blah, 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 the whole nine yards. And uh, I set up an answering machine, you know, just for that. And I came home. I think I, I think I talked to you about this at one point that I came home one day. And the answering machine was flashing. You know, we used to have answering machines. It was flashing red. And mm -hmm. I had messages on there from people who were interested. I'm like, wow, that worked. <laughs> and that's, that's what started. You know, I started, you know, I mean, I had consultations set up and I had to go, you know, get in my car and drive to these different. And it was wild because I was driving to these homes that were estates and things like that and driving in and, you know, cameras following me and door and, you know, gates opening. It was, it was kind of wild and, and sitting down and... and Let's put in that space for a second, Eric. Let's put the business hat on for a moment right now. When yeah. you, there was a lot of, right? There's a lot of intentionality in what you just shared with folks, right? You looked at the marketplace and said, okay, one thing that's unique in the marketplace that I could enter in, in probably a relatively crowded space, right? In the, in the form of personal training, what could I do? Well, I could bring it to people's homes, right? So that was, that was unique research and identification, but then you also have to fish where the fish are. Right. And you have to and, and you have to market in areas where you feel like you're going to get a predictable rate of return or ROI to your business. So you were marketing to areas where the people who the people afford the luxury of having the in-home consultation. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't you know, I, I had a market in affluent areas because it's a luxury. It's not you know, it's not a common you know, it's not a common thing. And, and you know, I did some research on like what you know, trainers would earn, you know, in gyms. And, you know, I called around to a bunch of places, you know, you know, what do you guys charge, you know, pretending that I was a, you know, customer, 
Yep. So I wanted to get a yeah, feel sure. for what they charged in gyms. So I said, well, yeah. if I'm going to be traveling to people's homes and I'm going to be driving 20, 30 minutes, I got to up my prices. You know, I got to come up with a price that's going to pay for my gas. And, you know, plus also the convenience of, you know, working out in your home. So, mm-hmm. you know, not that I was trying to, you know, charge anything that was exorbitant, but, you know, something that I thought was fair yep. and that I, you know, felt like I calculated, well, if I train this many people and I'm working this many hours, I'll make this money. So, I mean, and certainly it was a, you know, big jump up from, you know, getting seven bucks an hour working in a gym, you know, no matter what I did, you know. Uh, so, so I did the research and I did, you know, and I, and I figured it out and, and I even, and, and to be honest, I mean, some of the areas, some of the calls that I was getting was from people that lived in less affluent areas nearby the more affluent areas. And in some of the consultations that I went on, I saw these people didn't have home gyms. But they really wanted to work out. So I even came up with another con. I, I literally took all the weights that I had downstairs in, in my parents' house, my the basement, and I used to put them in my car with the barbell. And I, I had this little makeshift, little tiny little bench thing. Yeah. And I would then I started marketing as well. Like, listen, if you have no equipment, I'll get you in shape with barely anything. You know, I'll bring my own weights if I have to. And yeah. that, you know, that really caught on with a lot of people who, you know, didn't have those home gyms, but maybe just still wanted to get in shape. So I had to start also figuring out in my mind, what kind of routines can I do with people who have barely any equipment with just their body weight, with just the weights that I can bring. So mm-hmm. all of this stuff was going on. And, and, and I mean, it took off, you know, relatively quickly. I, st- I got a lot of calls. And every time I put out flyers, I got more calls. And then I started getting word of mouth because one wealthy person would say to their wealthy friend, Hey, I got this great guy coming to my house. You should have him. So it's it ended up to be a really good start for me. Uh, and it was a good business model at the time, especially because there was very few people doing it. Absolutely. Folks, we are Infinity X stage and microphone. This is the great Eric Bozer. What a story. And not and and what I heard and what I want to unpack a little bit more, Eric, is you know adaptability, right? There are certain businesses that were incredibly, incredibly relevant during a specific time that now are completely irrelevant because of the lack of adaptability, right? Uh, you think of the American Onlines, right? <laughs> you know, dial-up internet, you know, and um, you, you know. Companies like that that didn't have the ability to pivot and move into more, you know, the uh, the the next hells of the world, right? Did they had a they had a great um, product at a at a at a point in time, but didn't adapt to change in the marketplace, right? And right. what what did you do? You adapted and changed in the marketplace. Not only were you uh, bringing, you know, essentially bringing the uh, the the trainer to the individual, but now you're bringing the equipment necessary. To, and you adapt it to a um, spread into a different marketplace, into a, a secondary demographic, which is how business gets created, right? And so, as you're building, as you're building this out, um, when did you recognize that you could really, really, really start to accelerate this into a really super profitable business? What happened? What happened next? Well, I mean, to, to a degree, I think I think what started happening to me was. I, I started to realize that I can't be in two places at once uh, and that I can't drive, you yeah. know, and there was a point in time where like I'd have a client at, you know, 8 a.m. And then the next client, you know, at 930, you know, would be quite a distance away. And then I would drive, you know, so I started driving all over Long Island because now I started spreading around to different areas. So it started to become pretty taxing to drive around so much. You know, I had to start thinking about, 
the wear and tear on my car, the mileage, the gas, all those things. And just, you know, how many people could I service if I'm driving all over the place? That was the limitation. Mm -hmm. So I did dabble with having, at times I had different trainers who I brought aboard to handle some of my clients that was kind of like overflow, uh, which worked for a while, it was good, you know, but it was, you know, it worked for a while and it did give me the ability to make some more income and, and give somebody, you know, obviously give them a salary. Uh, but still, I still started seeing the writing on the wall and the limitations. So I was able to make, you know, I could always raise my prices a little bit, which I did. So I, I made a, a good amount of money, but it didn't, it, it, it was finite. I knew it was finite. And I knew that I had to try to figure out ways to go beyond that because even, even while that served me well for a few years, uh, I knew I didn't want to be driving around to people's houses all day long. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it became, you know, became you know, difficult. Uh, so, you know, then I started thinking about, you know, what am I going to do next? Where am I going to go from here? Plus also other, you know, other opportunities were coming my way, other thought processes of how I can, you know, do other things within the fitness industry. Plus also on top of that, uh, I started, you know, feeling like maybe I didn't want to live in New York anymore. I wanted to go somewhere where it was warm, where it was always my dream. So all these things started happening at the same time. I just knew that what I was doing while well, it worked really well and it, and it gave me a really good income. It gave me a lot of experience, taught me how to work hard, you know, taught me how to, you know, figure out, you know, challenge myself and figure out how to work with this difficulty, that to, you know, work with different people. I met all kinds of different people. You know, the psychology came into play a lot because a lot of these yeah. people I became very close to and they started sure. to confide yep. in me. You know, I'd be spending a lot of times with these people and I'd be, they'd be sure. bringing me into their lives. And, yeah. you know, yep. you know, it got really deep sometimes. So I'm glad I had that psychology background because it allowed me to get along with people and to help them in a lot of different respects, almost in some respects, maybe life coach, mentor kind of thing, even though I was young uh, and these people were generally older than me. So it was a really, really, really good experience, but I knew I had to go somewhere from there. We are Infinity X stage and microphone to human excellence, folks. This is Eric Bozer. And, um, uh, you know, we're just going through, we're walking through the entrepreneurial journey of recognition that, you know, replication is so, so critical, right? You have to be able to duplicate, replicate yourself and essentially coach yourself, not coach yourself out of your business, but you have to be able to come, become an owner, not owner operator. And, uh, and, and what Eric is sharing here is that it quickly, based upon success, success leaves clues but also success can create new obstacles. And one of those obstacles is demand. And if you can't supply, right, when there's extraordinary demand, what happens is you have reputational risk because you're not able to execute on what it is that you're promising to your clients from an experience standpoint. So Eric, as all of this is starting to happen, right, as, as you're recognizing that it's not going to be, a, it's, maybe it's not going to be serviceable, you're starting to get the yearning to go elsewhere. What happened next? Okay, so I, I had... I was competing in bodybuilding competitions as I had been uh, during this whole time. And I competed in a competition that was in California uh, at one point. I think it was somewhere around uh, maybe 1994, maybe 95. So I competed in a competition that was in Rodondo Beach, California. And I was with my, I had a girlfriend at the time. And yep. we decided that after, after the competition, we wanted to stay in California for a little while. I had always heard that San Diego was a beautiful place. Yeah. So yeah. after the competition was over... We went down to San Diego. We got a hotel in La Jolla, and we, um, you know, stayed there for a few days. I absolutely fell in love. I fell in love. Like I was, it was to me, it was like paradise. 
yeah. I mean, I was looking around going, wow. I mean, I, to me, it was like a, a dream place. Like I just was surrounded by palm trees. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was manicured. It was right by the beach. Everything. It was so, so amazing. Yep. Funny story. Yep. Very funny story was that I was sitting, I was sitting with her. Uh, we were at International House of Pancakes in La Jolla. We were sitting outside on the balcony waiting for my pancakes to come because finally I can eat again after the competition. I eat a little food. And right across the street was the ocean, you know, and the palm, you know, just look. And I'm sitting there looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, you know, snow, you know, shoveling my, you know, snow off of my car. You know, let's take this yep. thing. And I literally turned to her and I said, let's move. She thought I was kidding. Yep. I said, no, I'm, I said, I'm, I'm serious. Let's move. So she's like, are you, you, know, are you joking? I'm like, no. I'm like, I love it here. I, I want to live here. And after she realized I was serious, you know, she's like, okay, you know, she figured, hey, what the heck? You know, let's give this a shot. So I literally stayed, I think we stayed for maybe like a week before we left. I had already rented. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was to something, it was to be moved into like a month, you know, a month ahead. So I literally said, we had, a, we went back home and I had to break it to everybody. We're leaving. You know, nobody thought we were serious. I'm like, no, I'm serious. I, mm -hmm. I, I rented an apartment. Every, you know, everybody thought I was nuts. They thought I was crazy because number one, I'm my family. She's leaving her family. I had a successful business going, you know, in their, you know, successful in their eyes, you know, you be doing this thing with the personal training. I had to tell all my clients, but I just knew, I just knew it was the next step. And I knew that if I didn't leave San Diego, if I didn't leave San Diego with something that made me go back, I'd probably go back home and somebody would talk me out of it. So I said, no, that I want to do this now. So that was the next step as we picked up and we moved, uh, moved everything to to California, and I had to start pretty much. I, mean, I had to start fresh there. I didn't have a job, you know. I had my savings, but I didn't yep. have a job. So, what did you do differently when you got to San Diego in terms of marketing your capabilities to the general public that you didn't do when you were in Long Island? I just think that I had so much more confidence and experience uh, that I, I knew that I could just start off, you know, trying to do what I did uh, in New York because I didn't really know San Diego. I didn't really know the area. I didn't know my way around. I didn't know what was affluent. What, wasn't way, affluent. What, what, what time, what time frame was this? Like around when? In terms of, I think it was about 95, 94, 95, 1995. Folks, yeah. folks, I, I want you to pay real serious attention to this because, you know, from, I mean, social proofing in bodybuilding has, is, is, Absolutely relevant, right? And, and Eric proves that each and every single day. Follow him on Instagram. Follow him on Instagram at Coach Eric Bozer. But Bozer, I'm so sorry. I always want to put an it's, N in it's there. It's Bozer. B R O. Bozer. What is wrong with me? I swear, I, I would everybody mess up butchers my, my last name. <laughs> no, no, Eric. I swear to God, I would mess up my mother's name if I, you know, if I wasn't afraid of her. Um, <laughs> but no, in all in all seriousness, though, um, you know. Uh, Social proof in what you do and what you're coaching people on. People are not going to take, you know, I, 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 at least in my opinion, they're, I, I think that they're going to be very, very hesitant to want to retain and or hire somebody who hasn't been there, done that, right? Or who doesn't, you know, can't provide the social proof, right? Whether it's photographs, whatever the case is, of uh, the, the social proof of uh, results. Right, specifically a results formula in in that in that space because everybody has an opinion there, right? So what 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 was your unique heroic identity? What was your unique value proposition that you introduced to that new marketplace that made it take off? I think that well, first of all, I was always a walking billboard. You know, I never, I've always, you know, I've I've gone to so many gyms and this goes up through today. 
you can walk into so many gyms and you see people who are doing personal training and you look at them and you say, do they even work out? You know, they don't even look like they work out. Uh, right. Sometimes their clients look better than they do. So that's something that I, I don't, I don't appreciate that. I think that if you're, you know, if you're a hairdresser, your hair should be immaculate. You know, if you're, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, if you're a personal trainer, you should be walking, you know, doesn't mean you have to look like Mr. Universe, but you right. should be in shape. You know, you should be representing your product. So that was one thing that I always made sure I, I was always in shape. I never let myself get out of shape. So I wanted to be a walking billboard. I think that what was unique with me is that I don't think that there's a, there's a myth that when a guy has a lot of muscle and they're very big, that they yeah. don't have a lot of brains. Yep. You know, they usually think that it's, you know, he's all body, no brains. Now, maybe somebody wouldn't care about that. They just want to know, how do I get big? But I was with, I, I like to deal with more sophisticated people. And I think as soon as I opened up my mouth and was able to talk to people, number one, I'm very, I'm friendly. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I have zero arrogance about myself whatsoever. You know, even when I turned pro and whatever, and I was winning trophies, I didn't, I was still Eric, still Eric, the same Eric that was a kid. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I had, a, I have a, I think that the psychology background helped me to learn to read people and see what they needed, you know, see what kind of person they were from listening to them speak to me. Cause I would always ask a lot of questions, uh, and, and try to learn, you know, more about the person. And then that would help me to develop, you know, the, 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 the type of way that I would like, would like to present myself to them. So I take their cues, uh, and use that. And then, you know, my knowledge, I can speak on it, you know, any subject, any question they'd have for me, my answers would be very quick and extensive. So, you know, they knew I had the knowledge, but I think that I have a, a way of just, um, a part of it, I think also comes from my mom. My mom is a very, very, every person who's ever met my mother uh, loves her, everybody, you know, oh, your mother is incredible. Your mother is wonderful. And I think that I have a lot of her qualities. So I thank her for that, that I'm just a warm person. And I think that I make people feel comfortable. What, you know, if a person is, you know, a lot of times when people want to hire a trainer and say they're obese and they're very out of shape and they see somebody like me come in, you know, or any person who's really in shape, it's very intimidating. It's a hundred percent. Very intimidating, you know, and that's why I think a lot of, you know, heavy people or out of shape people don't go to gyms because they're so afraid people are going to look at them. And maybe mm -hmm. that does happen to a degree. But with me, I would, you know, always try to make people understand that I'm, I think that they're amazing you know the fact that they want to take a step to improve themselves the fact that they finally you know own the, the you know that owning it that they need to lose weight and they need to get in better shape you know not even necessarily completely from the aesthetic appeal but for their health you know maybe they're you know somebody who's very heavy and they have young children and they want to be around to you know have be a grandparent you know or be able to play with their child i've had a lot of people who's, who thanked me who said you know, I can now run around with my kids and play football and play soccer with them. And I couldn't do that before because I was too heavy. So knowing all these things and, and approaching people that way, I think that was what was unique about me because uh, there are thousands of good bodies out there, millions, you know, but what are you going to offer besides just the physique? You know, you have to be able to talk to people, understand them, you know, uh, you have to be able to answer their questions. You have to be uh, sincere you know, you have to have all these qualities. Otherwise, it's not going to last. You know, I want to give uh, a shout out to my friend, Sean Callagy. Um, Sean is a peak performance coach, Eric. Um, and he has he, he founded a company by the name of Unblinded and um, has a, a formula for emotional rapport build. 
right? And, and at the highest, highest, highest level, right? Um, integrity-based human influence, what they refer to as, and, and real deep emotional rapport building. And um, what I was, as you were sharing there, I was sitting there thinking to myself the entire time um, about uh, the, the formula that Sean created and that ultimately the United uh, community um, offers um, because the brain science behind creating emotional war with folks, in addition to being damn good at what you do, is very, very, very finite, and very art, art. And what I really like about what you shared is that you identified the, psycho- the psychology degree from Hofstra was the secret sauce right there. Eric, in addition to your discipline of lifting weights, right, and your discipline of of bodybuilding in general and everything that goes into it, the fact that you had the psychology background, right, and the fact that you um, leverage your mind as much as you leverage your body in that space, I, I, it, that is, that, it's just incredibly, I, it, it's, it's very unique, right? It's, and, and I'm not, not, I don't want to generalize that that world, but you know, there are there is a lot of misconception, you know, when you were sharing that. Uh, you know, um, all muscle, no brain. Also, what comes into my mind is um, that muscle comes from somewhere other than being natural, right? That, you know, that there is, there's steroids involved or there's human, hor- you know, human growth hormone or things of that nature. Right? So the discipline to not go into that, I think is just so powerful. Can I ask you a question about in that, in that space before we get into what you're up to now? Sure. You, know, you, you shared and you were very specific before which I really appreciated, by the way. Um, you were specific about the fact that when you were competing and you went professional, that it was in an all-natural space. Has, 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 what is, has there ever been times when there was high-level temptation to move into a spot where, look, I, I need additional edge? I, I, you know, I, have you ever thought about HGH? You know, have you had opportunities? And how did you combat that? Well, let me preface what I'm going to say by saying that I don't have anything against anybody who chooses to go that route. Um, the majority of my clients at this point in time do use performance enhancing drugs because they compete on a level that it's pretty much necessary. Uh, and, you know, to me, listen, I don't care what anybody thinks. Your favorite football players, your favorite baseball players, your favorite tennis players, they're all using them at yeah. that level. So yeah. it's not, you know, I mean, would I love to, to see that it just never existed and everybody just worked off of just their natural abilities? Great. That'd be awesome. But that's not the way the world is. I mean, that's why race cars are faster and faster and they, you know, they tweak cars so that they can, they can go so fast. And, I mean, it's high performance world and people want to see that. So I have nothing against it. And myself, I'm now on testosterone replacement therapy. So, you know, that's, I, I don't consider myself natural anymore if you don't want to say that, but uh, all my competitive years I was. Uh, yeah. But so, so I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But yes, I was very, very tempted so many times during my career, especially because a lot of times my training partners were people that were using steroids and growth hormone and things like that. And they would say to me, you know, you know Eric, man, you look great. Like, could you just imagine if you just used a little bit, you know, sure. uh, plus yeah. also, you know, you'd be in the gym and, you know, you would see somebody progressing so fast you know, you'd be like, you know, and you know that they're using stuff and you're like, oh my God, you know, it'd be so great to progress that fast. But, you know, I just, I don't know what, if the decision was more, if it was moral, if it was ethical, if it was, you know, being afraid that it was against the law. I mean, I don't really know. I just, just, just didn't want to go that route. I just wanted to compete naturally and see how far I could take my body without it. 
Uh, and I think that one of the big mistakes, you know, this could be a whole other conversation. I think one of the big mistakes that people make who get into this is that there's nothing wrong with, like I said, I deal with a lot of people who use it. I, I try to minimize the amount of stuff that they use because, you know, I always take their health into consideration. So a lot of, a lot of clients come to me who are using a dozen different things and I try to cut them down to a half dozen things so that, you know, teach them a better way to do it. But I think that people just do it too fast before their body has, they've gotten everything out of their body that they can, you know, they, you know, they, they jump on steroids when they're 20 years old, you know, you know, and they've only been yeah. training for two years. Some people jump on steroids when they just start training. So, you know, that's a big hit. Uh, but, you know, I, I always was able to just as tempted as I got, I just didn't want to do it. And uh, that's just the way I approached it. But I don't have anything against it because it is what it is. That's what the sport, that's what the sport is now. What types of long-term complications from a health standpoint can you avoid or, or did you avoid um, and can come about by using some of the HGH and some of the, some of the supplements that people are using now? I'll tell you, I'll tell you something really funny. You're going to be shocked by this, that, uh, you know, I had never used anything. I never took a recreational drug in my life. I've never had any alcohol in my life. Zero. Wow. For you. Zero. I've never that's had any incredible. alcohol. I've never had a drink of alcohol. Not missing so much. I'm like, as, I'm like as clean as you could possibly get. And I had a massive heart attack a few years ago that should have killed me. Massive. Like the doctor, the, 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 the well, first of all, I had a 24 hour heart attack because I refused to go to the hospital because I didn't believe I was having a heart attack. So yeah. I literally lived with it for 24 hours. And by the end of, you know, the whole ordeal, the surgeon came into me and said, you should be dead. I don't know how you're alive. So that's just another story in itself. So, you know what, even you can't even always say, you know, what's going to be, you know, um, even though, but to, to, to your question, there's a difference between use and abuse. You know, it's like anything else, you know, somebody who goes out and they, you know, you know, they drink, you know, a couple of nights a week and they have fun versus somebody who's an alcoholic who's drinking every single day and destroying their liver. And, you know, there's, you know, I think steroids and growth hormones are by the, the media and by the general public are thought of as the, oh my God, they're going to kill you. you Demonized, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's That's demonized. Right. And it's not, it's not all that, you know, there's, there are some drugs in bodybuilding, uh, insulin that's used, diuretics, a couple of fat burners that can kill you instantly. Uh, that's true. But things like steroids and growth hormones, if you're not, first of all, if you're a healthy person, if you're not abusing them, if you're going to a doctor and you're having yourself monitored so that if a problem does come up, you know, you can address it. Um, you could still live a long, healthy life. Is it possible that you're still taking a few years off your life? Who knows? Maybe you are. Uh, but the problem is, is that too many people, especially these days, because we're seeing a lot of bodybuilders dying at very early ages. I think that it's gotten out of hand. And if you're going to abuse them, uh, you're going to pay, you're going to pay the price at some point, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, heart issue, liver issue, some other, you know, uh, cancer, whatever it is, something you're, you are weakening your body, you are going to suffer the consequences. If you don't, you know, maybe die all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're taking 10 years off your life. I don't know. It's impossible really to say, but, you know, for sure, uh, there's a safer way to use them, a reasonable way to use them. And then there's the, you know, there's the abuse so those are two completely different folks. We are Infinity X with a stage and microphone for human excellence. This is Eric Bozer. And, and man, did I, uh, Eric, you I put Bozer. in, I, I said Bozer again. I, I, yeah, I'm going to, uh, this is Eric, folks. <laughs> Mega power in the space of, uh, of bodybuilding, entrepreneurship. And, and Eric, let me ask you another question. Um, 
the, there came a point where you recognized that you were going to be able to uh, take, take what you were doing to a larger stage and to a larger microphone, right? Because I think that's what entrepreneurs are typically seeking, right? Is the ability to broaden their audience and have impact and affect more people. You were never going to be able to have the level of impact on one person that you could have on a million, which is essentially what you have the ability to reach in through Instagram and through your different social media verticals on a week in and week out basis, you know, and, and 185,000 followers doesn't grow on trees. So when did you, when did you pull the trigger and start to move into the social space and who did you partner up with that helped you to kind of catapult what you were already doing? Boy, I think we're going to have to do two parts of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, so I, I will say, so jump, we'll jump ahead. So the last place that we were at when I was living in California and I was living in San Diego and I, I was working at gyms there and I was also um, doing some personal training uh, of my own. I started my own business there as well. Yep. However, at one point uh, we decided uh, for several different reasons that we were going to leave California. We're going to move back to New York, back to our family. When I moved back to New York, I, I picked up some of my former clients when I was there but, you know, that was just temporary to me. Like, I just needed to start doing something right away. Uh, and then I came up with the idea, or actually I came up with the idea with my sister uh, uh, to open up uh, my own facility, uh, a personal training facility, my own, not a gym, uh, but like a 1,500 square foot space, uh, the best possible equipment, beautiful place, by appointment only, train people, have trainers there. Uh, and have that type of a thing. So we we actually got that done. We did it in, on Long Island where we're literally around the corner, basically from my parents' house. Yep. Uh, and that was, so that is where, uh, oddly enough, in doing that, to your question, you know, my sister was, her function was basically to run the business because I had to be the trainer. I had to be the trainer, train the yep. trainers, you know, that kind of a thing. So we had a computer. I had never touched a computer in my life. I didn't know anything about computers. <laughs> I didn't even know how to turn the damn thing on. Mm -hmm. So one day we had a young, you know, one of our managers was this young kid who was going to college. He was like 19 years old and he was yep. on the computer all the time. And, you know, cause that's what he was brought up with. And one day he said to me, he goes, you know, you want me to teach you how to use the computer? So I said, okay, whatever, teach me how to use the computer. So started teaching me. What I discovered on the computer <clears throat> was that there was this whole world out there of bodybuilding and fitness uh, discussion groups and forums, people all over the world talking about bodybuilding and, and training and fitness and diet and steroids and everything. Yep. And I discovered this and I'm like, oh, interesting. Let me become a part of this. Uh, and in, in, in doing so and just becoming a part of these forums, I quickly, people who actually ran the forums very quickly realized that, you know, that I had a lot of knowledge and that I, you know, that I was very good at answering people's questions. So they started making me like, uh, like a forum manager. You know, so that I was kind of like the head of the forum and I would be like, you know, and looking around for questions to answer. And I was like, you know, sort of like, you know, right under them, you know, making sure that everything's going well, nobody's fighting, you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and, and so people started asking me, you know, from all over the world, you know, I started getting, you know, questions. So this is really what broadened me from my local area, you know, where I was from or wherever I was from to reaching out to people literally all over the globe because you know mm -hmm. bodybuilding mm -hmm. probably or weight training might be the most popular you know, the most popular activity in the world in terms of sure. sporting activity not bodybuilding but weight training but but weight training so, yeah 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 so 
that was really the impetus of, of me, you know, starting to reach that uh, different, you know, you know, audience. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, which is another story, which is why, I'm, you know, I don't know much more time we have here, but. Well, Eric, I, I'm, what I would suggest is that you're coming back, brother. You know, I mean, like I. Uh, I mean, like, we're only about a quarter yeah. way through here, so. Yeah, you know, I know. Because um, we have a lot more to unpack and we're already up at the eight o'clock hour. But conclude this and let's, let's talk I'll about what. The next so that was that was the, that being part of these forums and stuff was definitely the start. And then at the same time, uh, we could maybe, you know, end here because this starts a whole other evolution of my career is that I I was pretty good writer um, back when in school. I was very good at doing some creative writing and I had. Uh, good ability to write and write correctly and grammar work. And, you know, I had come up with, you know, I always read all the magazines, all of them. And mm -hmm. uh, I noticed that one of the magazines was accepting submissions from people, uh, new writers, you know, to get articles, you know. And I, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I'm like, I'd love to write for magazines. That would be awesome, you know. So there was this magazine called Muscle Mag International, which is no longer around. But back then it was huge. It was, you know, international magazine everywhere. I, I remember yeah. it. Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing it. You could, yeah. 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 Million. It was on the newsstands. Everything's big, very big. Magazine. There was yep. a bunch of them, but that was the one that I saw that. in. So I came up with an idea for an article uh, and I decided to you know, write this article on leg training. But I I decided that I didn't want to just write what everybody else was writing, like do this exercise, do this many reps, do this exercise, this many reps, you'll get bigger, you'll get stronger, blah, blah, blah. I decided that I wanted to put some humor into it, some, you know, make it like a story, something different. I had no idea whether this was going to even, you know, probably even be looked at. So you also I, had I no something. idea, by the way, not, not to cut you off, but you had no idea whether or not people would be receptive to at-home gym training. I didn't. No, I didn't. Exactly. So, again, exactly. You're a maverick, brother, just so you know. Right. I so I just said, you know, what, what, what's going to hurt? I wrote this article and, you know, sent it in and I forgot about it. That was it. Two months later, I, I op go to the mailbox, open up the mail, and there's a, a letter from Muscle Magnets and Astro. I figured it was just to renew my subscription, you know, or maybe mm -hmm. my subscription was there. I open up the, I open it up and I, and I open up the letter and a piece of paper falls to the ground. So I blow, go down, I pick it up. I look at it. It's a check. And it says, yeah. you know, $275. And the name of my article, you know, mm -hmm. Eric, and I was like, and then I read the paper and it says, we loved your article. We're publishing it in the next thing. We want you to, we want you to keep writing, keep submitting to us. Great job. I flipped. I mean, I totally flipped. So yeah. I ran, I actually was, I was still, I was at this point in time, I was actually living in my parents' house and I ran out in the backyard. It was during the summer and they were both by the pool and I'm like holding it up. I'm like, I think I did something, you know? So that started a career in writing because then I started submitting regular articles to them. They published every single one of them. And uh, being, again, to go back to your question of reaching a larger audience, being that this is an international magazine, my articles were not just being read by people in the United States. They were being read in wherever else that magazine was being sent. So between that and the computer, I started to now reach an audience that I never even dreamed that I can reach before. Incredible. Folks, we are infinity. Excellent. I could go another hour with you, Eric, right now, this very second, quite frankly, because it, your story has been so compelling. Everything that you overcame, the psychology 
the psychology behind, uh, you know, moving through your high school years, the bullying, the overcoming of that, the handshake, your escalation. I mean, like, it's just, it's been a riveting one. And and not to mention the meme that popped on there. I've never seen anything like that before. And I hope you've never seen it. <laughs> am, I the first, am I the first to be hacked? Am I the first oh, to be I've hacked? Yeah, you are, uh, you, unfortunately, you're not the first, but you will be the last. I can guarantee oh. that. That was that was something. I hope, I hope that's going to get edited out because that was well, not absolutely too get edited out. Believe you, <laughs> believe me. But um, but folks, replay. We are infinityx.com. We are infinityx YouTube, where you can follow the journey of the massive entrepreneur, um, the, the the thinking man's bodybuilder, right? Um, you know, somebody just with an incredibly eloquent story. But part two, which we'll post out there, folks, when um, Eric is going to rejoin us. But part two. I would like to offer, if Eric, with your permission, um, a a journey into what you're up to now, right? In terms of social media explosion, right? I'd like to go into your nutrition company. I'd like to go into what you're going to do next, but also, I would like to maybe formulate something of a little bit of a sales contest, where maybe one lucky participant or five folks that respond on YouTube on replays that we are infinityx.com, we are in. Infinity X YouTube are able to get a consultation from you, perhaps a one-time consultation. Hey, let me hear what you're up to. Let me hear what your regimen is and see if there might be synergy and opportunity for, uh, for you to get fabulous coaching from one of the world's premier fitness and wellness minds in Eric Broser. And so Eric, would you be open to that? Absolutely. That sounds like a very uh, fun idea. <laughs> Amazing. Folks, thank you, um, Eric. Thank you so much for spending time with us this evening. I'll be in touch with you over the next day or two to um, to identify the next date that we can uh, we can have you back uh, back on here. You've been unbelievably compelling and riveting. Um, and I thank you for your time this evening, brother. Yeah, listen, it's a, totally an honor to be here. I'm honored that you wanted to have me on the show. I mean, I, I love talking and telling my story. Um, and I'm amazed that people want to hear it. I still don't, you know, think of myself. I, I'm still Eric. I'm just Eric, you know. And and uh, but you know, I hope that um, you know other people out there who you know maybe are starting a journey can get something out of it. And uh, if they do, if I could help one person, that's amazing. So appreciate it very much. And the fact that you want me on for part two, I mean, that's amazing. I love it. <laughs> Eric, I can't get enough, man. And you, even if, if you look at yourself as just Eric, you need a bigger stage and a bigger microphone. Uh, and we need to help to expand upon that because you know your story, your story needs to be heard, and you can you can make impact in people's lives, right? I did a video earlier this morning, and I'll conclude with this, ladies and gentlemen. But on my Instagram, follow me at Dave 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 underscore Harder Epic at, on Instagram, and I put out a a post a little bit, and we are InfinityX on Instagram. That's the hashtag. That's the uh, uh, whatever the, the hell they call that, the handle. Uh, but I put out a, a, a video. Economically speaking, there's a lot of things that are out of people's control, right? A lot of things that are out of your control right now. Inflation, can't control that. Monetary policy, can't control that. Taxes, can only control it to a degree, but can't control the fact that the IRS is taking on 87,000 more agents. One of the things that you can control, folks, is you can control your decision-making when it comes to taking care of your health, wellness, and physical mindset, right? And next time that Eric, Eric jumps on with us, we're going to go really, really deep into the mindset of exercise, bodybuilding, entrepreneurship, 
building business, right? But also um, what it takes, micro distinctions and what it takes to stay consistent because people fail at that all the time. It's something that people control and we want to learn more about that. So Eric, you've been a real trooper this evening, brother. I can't thank you enough. Uh, folks, again, we, we are infinityx.com and we are InfinityX YouTube for the replay. Eric, um, I'll be in touch with you in the next day or so. And uh, folks, again, thank you for rocking with us this evening. Uh, until next Tuesday, um, for another edition of We Are Infinity X, we're going to have a wonderful night. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infinity X. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube by searching We Are Infinity X. Until next time. <laughs>